Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. It is good to be in front of you today. I just want to thank Mike Monday and Paul Winter for the last couple Sundays as uh, they shared. And uh, I hope you appreciated their insights that they brought to you. And so I am very grateful to have these people who are able to fill in when I just need a, a couple of days off. So I want to start off by saying life is hard, is it not? Like, does anybody wish to argue me about that? Like, Maybe it's our health or either, you know, we struggle or we have loved ones who struggle with sickness. Or maybe it's problems on the job, right? Uh, what about stress or anxiety just in general, never mind with what's going on with COVID? And, and what about betrayal? You know, I'm pretty sure that most of us have had friends or family who have let us down. And then there are also those cases, maybe we had a spouse who uh, deserted us, Right? And when life is difficult, we get a different perspective. It gives us a new angle to see our life. And so we see things that maybe we've never seen before. And, you know, we don't choose life's difficulties, right? It's not like we go shopping for them and ask for it. No, no, no. They just come. And they come without invitation and they come without permission into our lives. And you know what? And when these things come into our lives, we can complain all we want. We can blame others all we want. But does that really help? You know, does it, you know, does it make us feel better? Well, it doesn't help, does it? And it might make us feel better for a moment, but it doesn't solve what's going on. Um, I would go so far as to say that usually when we're in the blame, it gets us more angry or even more depressed. And the remaining question is, when all this is coming down, when life is throwing us a challenges, what type of person am I going to be when I come out of it? You know, when everything is over, who am I? Um, you know, are we going to come out as people who are bitter, angry, filled with lots of negativity? Because I know people in my world that have had things happen, and that's how they came out of it. And, you know, very unhappy people. Or are we going to come out as people who have a maybe more compassion or a deeper understanding of those who are very much less fortunate than us. When life is difficult, I think that it's usually a great opportunity for us to deeply reflect, uh, to stop and to think. Yes, that, that's what we should do. I, it, when things are going on, sometimes we just need to put the brakes, stop and think. And uh, that was the advice of the author of Ecclesiastes. He writes in chapter 7, verse 14, When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. See, and often, when we are in the midst of trouble, we would describe it, you know, as what? Being over our head, right? We're over our head in something, wherever we find ourselves. Um, Sometimes we describe ourselves as, uh, I'm unable to breathe. It feels like everything's just pressing in on me. Or uh, I've heard people say, it feels like I'm just drowning, right? I'm just drowning in my issues. Um, you know, so we have to ask the question, how do we keep our head above water when everything around us seems to be sinking, including ourselves? You know, during the good times and the tough times in my life, um, I have to be honest, a variety of music has always been a part of it. And I realize that song really conveys the importance of music and, and that importance and what it can have in our lives and how music can actually speak powerfully to us or even for us. When we say, you know, this is my song, it speaks for me. 
you know, how it describes our experience, how it may describe our inner lives. And today we continue with our summer playlist series, and the featured song today is by Canada's pop-punk queen, Avril Lavigne, and it's called Head Above Water. Now, if you didn't know this, she was born in 1984 in Nippany, Ontario. Her mother and father recognized her vocal abilities when she was about two years old, and she was singing Jesus Loves Me on the way home from church. Yes, you're hearing me correctly. She has an older brother, a younger sister, and both of whom teased her when she sang. However, her parents really noticed uh, something special with her, and they supported her singing. Her father went so far as to buy her a microphone, a drum kit, a keyboard, several guitars. He converted the basement into a studio for her. And uh, it's an interesting note that I came across, is that her father actually took the family to a non-denominational charismatic church um, called Third Day Worship Center in Kingston, Ontario. And at that time, he, he served as playing bass. So Levine, would, she would go on from church to singing at country fairs, singing cover songs of uh, many different um, styles, and eventually her career took off to where she is today. And so we want to jump ahead a few years, and we want to go to September 1st, 2018, where Avril shared a, on social media a picture of, a picture of her underwater. On September 6th, she posted a lengthy letter to the fans on her website detailing her struggle with Lyme disease and uh, in the past few years and what she was going through and how she overcame it. And this also included a release date for her song, Head Above Water. And she wrote this. She said, I had accepted death and could feel my body shutting down. It felt like I was drowning, like I was going underwater and I just needed to come up for air like I was in a river being pulled into a current, unable to breathe, praying to God for him to help me just keep my head above water, to help me see through the stormy weather. The song was released on September 19th, 2018, and ironically, it even impacted Christian radio uh, on October 8th, believe it or not. That's when it hit Christian radio waves. Levine wrote, she says, those were the worst years of my life as I went through both physical and emotional battles. I was able to turn that fight into music, and I'm really proud of it. During the process of writing the song, she concluded this, and this is what she says, I hope that my words in this song bring you hope, faith, light, and strength, and that you're also able to keep your head above water. Now again, like I said earlier, the entire song is a reflection about her battle against Lyme disease. Uh, it, it helps us to actually contextualize the song as her own personal journey towards healing when you look at it. Uh, her lyrics, as you've heard, reflect an emotional toil, uh, attempting to save her life. Uh, I go so far as realizing that only God can save her. And she uses the concept of a storm to um, communicate with her audience. So this, this concept of storm and rescue, and I think every audience that listens to this song as we understand it. Now there's a number of ways that I could have actually approached this song from Scripture, but what I'd rather do this morning is actually simply, I want to leave with you biblical examples about trusting God in difficult times. With some of them, I'll throw out a, the odd question, maybe you want to write it down, and I do this really today is to hopefully inspire you to overcome your circumstances and to inspire your faith regardless of the circumstances that you find yourself in, even today. And so, if you had your Bible, if you have your notepad, first I, I 
first want to start by saying that faith in God brings comfort and cheer even in the midst of stress and crushing difficulties. I hope you heard me with that. See, faith is what helps us trust God in difficult times. And to see difficulty the way God does, we need the scriptures. We need to have the Bible around us for those hard times, and we need the scriptures to hold on to. And today I want to share about a few biblical characters who actually trusted God in the midst of difficulty. And I hope, and my prayer today, is that they will inspire you. First we have Moses. Now, here's a guy who trusted God when there was literally no way out. Difficult times can lead us to a point where we feel like our, our backs are against the wall and, and, and there are very little options for us to find a way out or a solution to overcome. You know, we're left wondering to ourselves, you know, how did I get myself into this situation? And I think Moses experienced that very same feeling when after leading Israel out of Egypt, they're stuck between the Red Sea and an angry Egyptian army. If you go to uh, uh, Exodus chapter 14, where God guided the Israelites to the exact place, when you think about them, of where he wanted them to be, right on the edge of the Red Sea. The water in front of them, Pharaoh and the Egyptians barreling down behind them. And it was only God who could provide a way out. And this very experience can occur in our lives from time to time. You know, maybe you, you feel like you're in an impossible situation. You know, just for enough time for God to show up and to show us how powerful he is. And, and again, we have to be honest, God is an outside-the-box thinker. Everyone else, when you talk about Moses, felt backed up against the wall with no way out. But that's because no one would have predicted that God would have parted the Red Sea for the Israelites to walk through on solid ground. Difficult times, people will happen to us all. It all comes. And though it's easy to get afraid of having, let's say, nowhere to turn, these are the moments where I think if we are uh, tuned in, we can see God's work at His best. Maybe today you feel like your situation is difficult. Maybe it's an opportunity for God to come through. You know, what type of prayer do you need to have to change your mindset on difficulty? to maybe looking and seeing maybe this is where God wants me right now. You know, I, I read this story of the Israelites there, and I, I tried to imagine uh, the Israelites themselves being with them, these, these people who walked through the Red Sea, who were able to turn around and, and see Pharaoh's army destroyed. Can you imagine being there? What would it have done to your faith in God? How would that have changed your view? Then in the Old Testament, we have Deborah, or Deborah. I prefer to say Deborah. We find her in Judges chapter 4, and uh, she's one of these amazingly talented people that seems to do it all. Now, she, here, here, here she is. She's a leader. She's a judge. She's a prophetess. She's a wife, and she's a mother. All right? And along with that, she's courageously leading her people into battle. So, I, you know, is she a general as well? I don't know. And though phenomenally inspirational, her life can leave me feeling like I can't relate to this lady. I'm sorry. How could she do it all? 
And we can look at Deborah as an example for how to handle the chaos in our lives when you think about it. You know, every day, you and I, we work. Our work demands, you know, is demanding jobs. I, I presume it is. And, and, and we do what we can, right, at the same time to try to take care of our families. And we might not have the titles that Deborah did, but life demands a lot from us each day. In, even in your own home, you're settling disputes. Maybe you're helping people with their, their marriages. or their, You know, we have our finances. We have our kids. We have even our own health. Every day we're making decisions. And what happens is that difficulty comes to us in all different types of shapes and sizes. And sometimes, think about this, sometimes difficulty isn't a drastic tragedy, but the busy chaos of just managing life. Right? Basic life can be chaotic. And with all that we want to accomplish, let's say, on a weekly or a daily basis, you know, we can end up worn out, right? We can end up disappointed, never feeling like we finished anything. Nothing's completed, right? You know, my to-do list feels like it's going on forever. And, and Deborah's family, which is really the people of Israel, when you think about this, it had its dysfunctions, just like our own families do. Hers was just bigger. And we can look to her as an example for how to handle the chaos uh, in our daily lives. Judges 4.14 uh, 4, says, Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and the army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and he fled on foot. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, really, Deborah believed and trusted that God, in a way, that maybe it was hard for us to do. God was real and present in her life. She knew that she had the battle. You know, and if I have this strong belief of a, uh, that God's hand was in every effort of my day, because I'm, I'm convinced, and I'm speaking for myself, and maybe you can agree with me, because sometimes I think I can do it on my own. And I wonder if I would be a lot more content with each day's accomplishment if I just began to trust God and knowing that he's guiding me every step. Maybe I wouldn't be so overwhelmed with the busy schedule of life, but would believe that I can handle it. Whatever comes my way, because God is on my side, because he is my strength. In Judges 5-7, Deborah uh, Deborah described herself as the mother of Israel. And I think we can learn from this because she, she cared about people. She led them like a mother cares for her children. She was motivated to serve no matter what the demands were because she cared about people. Not about the title, not about accomplishments, but about caring for others. When I get overwhelmed or when I get worn out, you know, there are times I want to quit. I'm pretty sure every one of us do. But then I begin to think about, I, begin, I think about others, I, others that I care about, my family, my friends, my neighborhood, this church. It helps me keep on going. The world was a great example of this. She, she had become their mother, and that relationship helped her to keep going, and she trusted God in the demands of life. Then we have David. Trusting God when life is not how you pictured it. How many can relate to that? 
How many times have you said to yourself, this is not what I pictured. Uh, this, is not, this is not it. Because I think we've all come to a place in our life where in different scenarios where we've pictured how we wanted our life to play out. And everyone experienced periods in life when, you know, uh, it's not what I imagined. <laughs> this is nothing like what I imagined. Imagine David. Here's the guy, the king. He's the anointed king of Israel. He's hailed as a hero for conquering Goliath. Led numerous successful military campaigns. Became the head of the military operation of Israel. Marries the king's daughter. He had it all going for him. And then suddenly, because you have a just jealous king, David spent the next few years running from King Saul. He ended up holding up in this cave with a motley crew of misfits. And it would be safe to say that this is not how David pictured his journey towards becoming the king of Israel. In difficult times, maybe we're tempted to believe that God has abandoned us. As the story of David, you know, God's destiny for our lives does not change because of our circumstances. Did you hear that? God's destiny for our lives does not change because of our circumstances. David's destiny was fulfilled. He became king of Israel. In fact, his difficult circumstances made him a more compassionate and humble king. And there were many moments in David's life that were not how he would have pictured it. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 22 that David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all their relatives joined them there. You could see them all coming, right? Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented. Until David was the captain of about 400 men. So, you know, there could have been over 1,000 people there. You know, we can learn from David that our destiny is not determined by difficult moments. Our destiny is determined by God. God has this plan for us. And even though our circumstances change, God's plan doesn't. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we were also chosen. Think about that having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will. You know, he has a plan for us. And sometimes during difficult times, we simply need to remember God. David embraced difficult times because he believed his future was in the hands of a God that loved him. And we too need to believe that our future is in the hands of a God that loves us even in the difficult times. And we have Isaiah. Isaiah, who was chosen by God to deliver an important message to the Israelites. And God set up his people for an incredible future of redemption and hope. But before all of that could happen, God gave Isaiah an intense vision that was incredibly overwhelming for him. And this was a crucial moment for Isaiah to trust in the Lord's plan and faithfulness. And we read in chapter 21 of Isaiah, it says, Starting at verse 3, and this, at this, my body is racked with pain. Pangs seize me like those of a woman in labor. I am staggered by what I hear. I am bewildered by what I see. Now, I'm not sure about you, but one of my biggest fears is the fear of bad news. You know, for me, bad news is usually followed by worst case scenario thinking, and suddenly, you know, uh, I'm being overtaken by torrents of anxiety and feelings of helplessness, right? During these times, for me, I, I can't speak for you, but during these times when all of a sudden it's like something's happened, you know, prayer can be difficult. 
right? You're kind of scrambling. And so what I do, and it's not necessarily the most healthy, so I'm just being honest, I, I try to find relief in making a plan or figuring out a solution, right? I've got to solve the problem. I've got to put the puzzle together. But something I've learned about going through difficulty is that it's an opportunity to actually transform my prayer life. It's like slamming on the brakes and just listening. Now, often I, I harden my pain by minimizing and hiding it. You know, maybe this is confessions of a pastor time. I don't know. I, I, I get annoyed when friends try to help me, just saying, just throwing it out there. Even when family, you know, my resistance to vulnerability makes me, I have to be honest, it would make me unsympathetic and even fake, right? And I look at Isaiah and I see that he's inspiring because he doesn't hold back with God. He expresses actually his deep pain he, and how hard it is to hear and see him in the midst of all this chaos that Isaiah finds himself. And Isaiah's connection to God deepens during his difficulties because he goes on and he writes in chapter 49, he says, You are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor, but I said I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all, and yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with God. I think part of the reason that Isaiah's faith stayed strong despite the bad news was because he was honest with his doubts. He was honest with his frustration. And he believed deeply in God's purpose. I know for me, believing that God has chosen me to help others to know him. It challenges and, and inspires me. It's the, I think it's the challenge to make a difference. And I think when our un, our, our Vulnerable prayers begin to unlock a deeper level of intimacy with God when we can become more transparent. And that's a question I want to ask you today. Are, are you honest with God about the depths of your pain? Maybe that's where you are, like Isaiah. Are you honest with God about the depths? Maybe hopelessness, confusion, anger, depression. You know, have you found yourself slipping into dark shadows, isolating, negative thinking, unbelief, loss of passion towards God? Do you cry out more or do you avoid them? You know, there's a group of young men who are trusting God no matter what the outcome. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's found in Daniel chapter 3. And at this time in history, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was influenced by those around him to, to set up this image of gold and required everybody to bow down and to worship it. Now, of course... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they gratefully declined. <laughs> Respectfully, sir, well, we're not going to do this. And um, when the whole kingdom, when you think about it, was bowing down to worship a gold statue, they stood their ground with faith that God would take care of them no matter what the result would be. And even in their position, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not feel the need to defend their decision, you know, to not comply with the king's edict. They, they remained calm and confident in the face of the king's life-threatening anger at them. And they had faith that God would save them because they trusted God and that God would take care of them. But the part that's the most astonishing is that their focus on God, even if he didn't save them from the flames. So their faith allowed for contentment with whatever the outcome was. 
And that's a real special place to be. They trusted God completely. Scripture says that Nebuchadnezzar was so furious he blew a gasket with these guys and he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And then he ordered his strongest, you know, his strongest men of his army to bind them up, tie them up, and to throw them into this blazing furnace. And so they did. These strong guys came, tied them up, and threw them into the furnace. But because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw in these three young men. And there's Nebuchadnezzar, and the Bible says that he saw what was going on, and he jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, he said, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? And, of course, they're yes men, yes, majesty, we certainly did. And he says, look, and he shouts, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. You know, what's really interesting when you think of this story is that they were not motivated by their own success or glory when they refused to bow down. But rather by the fact that God would be glorified through the result of either their sacrifice or their triumph. And it leads me to ask another question. How is your faith based on the outcome of your difficult situation? You know, can you trust Whatever happens, can you trust that it is God who still loves and guides you? Then there's Naomi and Ruth. And again, a great example of trusting God when you feel alone. Obviously, when we go through hard times, it's very easy for all of us to feel alone. We feel that nobody understands. We feel that nobody cares what we're going through. And when left unchecked, this idea that nobody cares can actually lead us to push away the very relationships that are meant to help us get through hard times. We push away the people that will actually be with us at all times. And again, for me personally, confessions of a pastor, here we go. When I'm having a hard time, my first instinct is to uh, isolate, to surround myself, sometimes doubt and question God's care for me. Like, come on, I'm trying to do your work. What's the matter? Um, I, I shut down my emotions so I don't have to feel or rely on anyone. You know, do I get an amen? Um, rather than let God and people, his ambassadors, the people that he has deliberately placed around me to give me the comfort and the reassurance that I may need. What do I do, though? I push them away by refusing to be honest, right? Or I harden my heart. And sometimes, even for me personally, acting cold in relationships. Well, when we look at Naomi, she was in a very similar position. She lost her husband. She lost both her sons. She felt completely empty. She felt utterly alone. Her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, not Oprah, Orpah, uh, they tried to stick with her. But Naomi was difficult. She refused to be comforted, and she pushed these relationships away. You know, you can pick up the story in Ruth chapter 1, and it says when Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye because now she was leaving, uh, Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you will go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. So Naomi now, after trying to be probably miserable and pushing people away, realized that Ruth was determined to go with her wherever she goes. So she stops urging her. 
Scripture goes on and says, When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Which actually means pleasantness, right? So, no, I'm a bag. That's who I am. Call me Mara, bitter. The Lord has afflicted me, she said. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now again, what we find here is that Naomi, understandably, is questioning God's love for her. And she doesn't see. She doesn't see how anyone could understand or help her through her pain. She doesn't let anybody close. But because she didn't take this doubt and pain and pour out her heart to God, she became bitter about the pain. Isn't that interesting? She became bitter about the pain in her life. She was unable to see that she wasn't alone, that, that, that she had Ruth. And even though Naomi tried to push both her daughter, daughter-in-laws away, Ruth re- refused to be shut out. And so no matter how many tactics Naomi used to keep her at a distance, Ruth stood her ground. She loved, she believed in her. And so nothing Naomi could have done would push Ruth away. And even when Naomi was bitter and mean, Ruth stuck by her side. I go so far as to say that this is the kind of friend that God is to us. Psalms 103.8 says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And the kind of friend that we should be for each other. And if you're going to go through a hard time, you know, are you relying on God and friends? Or are you pushing them away? If you see a friend going through a hard time, are you allowing them to push you away? Or are you choosing to stick by them and love them no matter what? No matter how difficult they can be. And I think the cool thing here in this relationship between Ruth and Naomi is that it wasn't one-sided. Ruth stuck by Naomi when she felt bitter and alone. But as you read the story, we see that Naomi decided to help Ruth too. If you go back and you read the rest of the book, you'll see a very inspiring end to Ruth and Naomi's story. God moved through their loyal friendship to help them find healing and hope and an incredible future. And then we have in the New Testament, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Both of these New Testament characters found themselves trusting God when a longing in their life was unfulfilled. And an unfulfilled longing can be very disheartening. Like imagine having been married for a long time, and unable to have kids, living in a culture that measured God's love for you by the number of children that you have. Well, that's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they're an example of people who understood longing unfulfilled. The heartache of being denied something you long for and not having an answer to your question, not knowing why. And maybe you yourself, you've been, not, been denied something that you've longed for for a long time. Maybe, just maybe, it's a lingering health situation that just won't go away. Maybe it's a child that has rejected you. Maybe it's a character weakness that you can't overcome. Or maybe it's a sin that plagues you and your relationships. Well, I would go so far as to say Zachariah and Elizabeth understand. They also understand how to remain faithful while waiting on God. We find their story in in Luke, Luke chapter 1. 
And it goes this way, starting at verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was uh, a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Do you hear that? Observing all the Lord's commands and his decrees blamelessly. These were good folk. But they were childless because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. And what inspires me about Zechariah and Elizabeth is their ability still to trust God in the midst of this longing that's unfulfilled. We know they trusted God simply because they continued to serve God. And, and God described them as righteous. We see that in the Scriptures. Later we read that an angel shows up to Zechariah. He has this good news. Um, while he was serving as a priest. You know, Zechariah could have given up on God altogether, but he decided to keep serving God despite his unfulfilled longing. And so this leads me to maybe a question that you can ponder. How do you handle adversity? You know, if you're like me, do you endure adversity for a period of time and then, you know, it could be easy for us sometimes to lose faith and quickly turn into self-pity, possibly unbelief. You know, sometimes adversity comes into our life and leads us to quit praying and expecting God to move. But the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is about the faithfulness of God and what it means to live by faith. And finally, we have a woman healed by Jesus in Mark chapter 5. And here we find somebody trusting God and taking risks, taking risks despite the pain. And here's the scene. There's this large crowd that has gathered around Jesus. People from all over the region have rushed. They have rushed to him. They have literally pressed against him. And in this crowd is a woman who's been suffering from a chronic bleeding for 12 years. She had visited many doctors. She had spent all of her money on treatments, whatever. But she, instead of getting better, her condition just kept getting worse and worse. And because of the nature of her illness, because she was uh, um, uh, sick in this way, she was considered unclean according to the laws and the traditions of the time. So, of course, that means lonely because nobody wants to be around you. Nobody wants to touch you. So here she is. She's sick. She's broke. And she's an outcast. But yet, because of her faith in Jesus, she was able to ignore the pain for a moment. And she took the risk that changed absolutely everything. You know, when she heard that Jesus was near, she came up behind him in the crowd. She touched the hem of his garment, as some translations say. They they touched his coat, his jacket, his outer garment, because she thought in her head, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately she did. And immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He knew something went on. And, and he turned around in the crowd and he said, Who touched me? Who touched my clothes? And the disciples, you know, they're kind of going like, Jesus, like, hey, look at everybody's around here. People are crowding up against you and yet you have to ask who touched me. Like, what are you talking about? But Jesus kept looking around to see who touched him. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she got honest. And she came to him, fell at his feet, trembling with fear. And she tells him the truth. You know, it was me. And Jesus looks at her and he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You know what's crazy? In this story, she's unnamed. We don't know who she is. 
And yet her story is one of faith. And it's unforgettable. And it, it should inspire all of us never to give up. And she took a bold risk to believe in Jesus and his power. She stepped out of the shadows. She made her way through the crowd. She told the truth. Why? So that she could get closer to Jesus. When it feels like things will never change, I'm realizing there is more to explore in my relationship with God. I get stuck wanting my own way. I don't know about you. And when I'm there, I I miss what God is doing and the doors that maybe he's opening. You know, maybe trying something new is the last thing on your mind, especially if you have, let's say, a chronic health challenge or you're in the midst of some long-standing troubles. You know, does the condition of your health, the physical or mental or even emotional, uh, does, does it affect your faith? That's a tough question. How, how are you responding when things aren't going well? How has your faith been affected by a long-standing difficult situation? You know, when we feel alone or we feel like our head is going under, what often helps is that we don't slip into bitterness. To, um, but we need to see the purpose that we have in other people's lives. It doesn't take the pain away or the difficulty of what we're going through, but it can help us both see and be light in the midst of darkness. Somebody once said that when the storm is raging, the sky is darkening and the water is rising. We need to remember that God is the only one who can save us. Psalm 40, 1-5 says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned, me, turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on solid ground. He steadied me as I walked along. He had given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be astonished. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust in the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Oh, Lord, my God, you have done many miracles for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would have never come to the end of them. That was actually written by David in a very difficult time in his life. And at the very beginning, you can feel the walls closing in on him and the mud rising beneath him. And again, it was his trust in God that brought him through. Mark chapter 4, Jesus and the disciples, they meet on the water in the midst of the storms. The disciples are all panicking. They're losing their minds. But I I love how Jesus isn't afraid of the things that terrify us. He's not bothered by the storms because he can quiet them with his voice. I also like how the disciples' hearts were challenged by what they just witnessed and experienced firsthand. And listen, I want you to know that no matter what type of storm you're facing in life, you don't have to face it alone. Number one, Jesus is just a prayer away. And if you're going through something tough, if you're going through something bigger than you, look for those in your world already that are trying to draw close to you, the ones that you're maybe blocking out. And then look to us as the church. But I would also strongly suggest that you spend a few moments in prayer doing what David and those disciples did. They got God's help. You know, well, why wouldn't Jesus help you? 
He loved you enough to die on a cross for you. He can eradicate our sin. He can certainly overcome an addiction, a fear, a question, and everything else. And if you're the person in the middle of a storm, don't hesitate to reach out to me, any of our staff. (coughs) We want to point you to the God who saves. Everyone faces difficult times. Life is not always kind to us, and it can be very cruel. And sometimes it comes as darkness, and sometimes it comes as storms. But we can survive in the midst of all this. Why? Because we have faith, we have hope, and we have love. My friends, let us always keep these three things in our heart. Then we can see the light in the darkness. We can see the calmness in the storm and even the smile in the midst of deep sadness and sorrow. Let's pray. God of peace, sometimes our thoughts fail us. And God, sometimes we feel overcome by anxiety, overwhelmed by our anxious thoughts to the point where it feels like we can't control them. And yet we know that you are greater than our worries, but at times our anxiety keeps us hostage to our own thoughts. So help us. Help us to lean on you by bringing our anxieties to you. Give us a perspective of our circumstances in the grand scheme of things. And I pray, God, that you will quiet the storms that rage in our minds. Please give us peace in what it feels like chaos and increase our ability to remember that in all things that this is temporary so that we may dwell in your peace no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. Help us to trust that that you have my best interest at heart. And when my life feels like it's falling apart, help me to fall on you, God. Help me to seek you when I feel overcome by anxiety or whatever else, that I may rest in your presence and entrust my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Soul Sanctuary. In ancient time, the one who blessed extends his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. If you want a blessing, here it is. Soul, may God keep your head above water. And as you go from here, remember this. God's love is from everlasting to everlasting, from generation to generation. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so God has compassion on those who fear him, who listen to his voice and who do his will. So now with that, go out in the knowledge that the everlasting love of God goes with you. Amen. Be blessed. Now go and live the church. And we'll see you next week.